This morning, God's Word comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1. While you are looking uh, for that, you may have noticed in the bulletin this morning, there was an insert. Uh, on one side it said the book of Psalms, on the other side it said Psalm 1. Uh, that insert is to hopefully whet your appetite for this evening. As tonight we begin a series of sermons on the Psalms. And so we're going to talk about Psalms in general tonight and also look specifically at Psalm 1. So you're certainly invited back tonight for our worship service and encouraged to take this along with you as we study God's Word together. This morning, Matthew chapter 1, and I'll be reading the first 17 verses of this chapter. I remind you, as always, what we hear now is God's Word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Aviud, and Aviud the father of Eliakim. And Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Aliud, and Aliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ." So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. It's partway through reading a text like that. I question my choice of the text for this morning. But this is more than just a list of names. 
I know that when we read the scriptures and come to a text like this, it's easy just to skip over this passage. Uh, a lot of names, some difficult to pronounce, many of whom we do not know. But this list of names, this genealogy, is a part of the Christmas story. This year for Advent, we are talking about Jesus' biography, facts about Jesus. Last time, we talked about his birthplace in Bethlehem. Born at an unlikely time in unlikely circumstances in an insignificant place, but born to be the king of his people. Today, we're going to talk about Jesus' family tree. Jesus' family tree. We're going to look at his ancestors because in looking at the ancestors, we learn something about the child. Uh, my dad was a Christian school teacher for just about 40 years. He taught uh, two generations of students. And I remember dad saying uh, sometimes when that second generation came into his classroom, he would say, oh, they're just like their dad. They're just like their mom. I'm not sure if that was good or bad, but that's what he would say. Um, I can recall going to preach up in Linden, Washington, and people hearing me would say, oh, you sound so much like your father. You sound like your father. By looking at ancestors, we learn something about the children. We get a sense of who someone is. So this morning, we're going to look at Jesus' family tree, uh, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, to be sure, this is a stylized genealogy set in uh, three sets of 14. Three sets of 14 uh, generations. There's been a lot made of that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure of the significance of the three sets of 14. One of the reasons I think a lot is made out of this, because... Um, 14, the number 14, is the numerical equivalent of the name David. In, in Hebrew, they counted with their letters, and if you take the name David and add it up, it comes to 14. So there's been some thought about speculation. Is this, you know, a, a, a more subtle reference to David beyond what we have in the text? Some have said, no, no, it's not really so much three 14s, it's actually... Six sets of seven, in many ways ignoring the way the text is structured, but six, six sets of seven, kind of talking about a sabbatical structure, and then Christ comes as that seventh seven, that fulfillment. Well, again, we're not going to get so um, hung up on the numbers, on, on the structure. Uh, but look at, at just a few of the ancestors of Jesus Christ as they give us a picture of who he is and what he came to do. This morning we're going to look at four of Jesus' ancestors in Jesus' family tree. The first one is the first one listed, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac of Jacob, and Jacob of Judah. Abraham. And when we think of Jesus as a descendant of Abraham, a child of Abraham, what comes to mind is, is the idea of promise. You recall the story, children, how God came to Abraham 
And God would take Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees, he would take him up to Haran, and then down to the land of Canaan. And God made a promise to Abraham and to his wife Sarah. He made a promise that they would have a son. Even though they were really past childbearing years, they were older, God made a promise to them. But it took, it took 14 years for that promise to be fulfilled. Now think about that. Imagine if um, one of our young couples in church uh, was going to get married and, and we knew God said to them, we are going to have a baby. Well, we would expect about a year or so later, a child would show up. But imagine this child, or this, this couple has no child, and, and, and the second year comes, and there's no child yet, and, and, and they hit their, their fifth anniversary, and, and there's still no child, and, and, and they hit their tenth anniversary, and still no child. We begin to wonder, well, was that word really true? Can that promise be trusted? I'm sure... I'm sure Abraham and Sarah thought the same thing. Is this word of God true? Can it be trusted? We begin to wonder. It took 14 years for God to fulfill his promise. God also made a promise to Abraham about the land of Canaan, that it would be his and his descendants. But that promise would not take 14 years and would not take 40 years, would take 400 years before that promise would be seen. When we think about Jesus, a child of Abraham, a child of promise, we are reminded that while God is always faithful to his word, it is on his timing, not necessarily on our timing. Jesus Christ was promised already back in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of the world. God had promised he would send one to crush the head of the serpent, but the fulfillment of that promise would take 4,000 years before they would see it. But it was in God's time, in the fullness of time. A reminder that even though Maybe it seems to us God has perhaps forgotten his promises. God is always faithful. His timing is always the perfect timing. It's not always our timing, but his timing is always the perfect timing. The timing of the, of the child for Abraham, the, ti the timing of the land for the people of Israel, the timing of Jesus Christ is a reminder of God's faithfulness to his promises. When we begin to wonder, God, God, I've been praying for this. Why are you waiting so long? God, I, I believe this is a, a, a thing that you would desire for me. Why must I wait so long for this? God's timing is always the perfect timing. It may seem long for us. It may seem we are waiting. But God fulfills his promises to his people. God is a God who is faithful. Jesus Christ was was a son of Abraham. He was a, a child of promise. We go on in the text and look at verse 5. 
Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Rahab, the father of Obed by Ruth. We see Boaz and Ruth. And when we think of Boaz and Ruth as ancestors of Jesus, uh, we remind ourselves Jesus is a child of deliverance. Boaz and Ruth, a picture of deliverance. And again, you remember this story, children, how, uh, how a woman uh, left the land of, uh, of Bethlehem and went to a foreign land and, and with her sons and her husband and all the men die and then the daughter-in-law, Ruth, comes back with her. Uh, Naomi and Ruth come back to the land of Israel and uh, they need uh, help and, uh, and this man, Boaz, comes along. This man, Boaz, comes along, and Boaz is called a kinsman redeemer, one who redeems, one who delivers by the method of a purchase. And Boaz will will purchase a land, and in so doing, purchase Ruth and redeem her as well. A child of deliverance, a child of redemption, by way of paying a price. And so we, we see how Jesus Christ comes in this line. One who comes to be a deliverer. One who comes to be a redeemer. Who pays a price. A price for our sin. A price we could not pay. A price that was too much for us. He comes and he pays on our behalf. He makes the payment to deliver us from slavery to sin. He's a child of deliverance. One who delivers his people one who delivers all of his people. Notice we have the name of Ruth here. And perhaps you remember that Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was, in many ways, an outsider. And yet she, by faith, would align herself with the God of Israel. We're reminded that this this deliverance This deliverance from sin is not only for a particular ethnic people, but for all of God's people, for all who by faith embrace Jesus Christ. The Christian faith is not an ethnic faith. It's not a national faith. It's not a a Jewish faith or a German faith or a Dutch faith or an American faith. It's a Christian faith for those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And all who who embrace him by faith are brought in, are delivered, are redeemed. That's the picture we have in, in, in Boaz and Ruth. A redeemer, one who redeems by making a purchase and delivers the people. Jesus Christ comes for his own, for every one of his own, for all who embrace him by faith. And he is their deliverer. We go on in verse 5. Um, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. David, the king. And when we think about David, the king, I think we talked about this last time, how David was really the best king of Israel. So it doesn't surprise us that David, the king, would be mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. David, that best king, and so he's part of this family tree. When they, when they can trace their lineage back, oh, we come from David, David the king. What does it say about David the king? Verse 7, 
And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. David is not highlighted here because of his greatness as king. What is spoken about David the king in this genealogy is his sin. You perhaps recall that story, how David sees the wife of Uriah, sees Bathsheba, and desires her and commits sin with her and then tries to cover up that sin by having Uriah come back from the battle and tries to put her together with Bathsheba, but he won't, and so he, he sends him out to the battle and puts him in the front of the lines. And Uriah gets killed. This is the reminder of, of David in the genealogy, in the family tree of Jesus. David the murderer. David the liar. David the adulterer. He is in the family tree of Jesus. He who would try to cover up his sin, who would try to deceive those around him, reminds us that Jesus comes as a child of deception. Those who were fallen, those who tried to cover over their wickedness. And yet, it's the fact that David the sinner is included here which gives me so much comfort and so much hope. Jesus' family tree is not of those who were perfect. They were fallen, they were sinful, and yet they find themselves in the family of Jesus Christ. We are those who are fallen. We are those who are sinful. We are certainly not perfect. And yet, by faith in Jesus Christ and because of his work of redemption and deliverance, we poor, fallen sinners are brought in to Jesus' family tree. We are brought in to his line. We who would deceive, we who would lie, we who would cheat, we who would steal, we who would commit adultery, we who would murder, brought in by faith in this perfect son, this son of David, this son of deception, Jesus Christ. He calls us today to put our faith in him, to acknowledge we are those who are fallen, we are those who are sinful, we are those who stand in need of a Savior. Remember David who was humbled before his sin and restored and was king of God's people. Jesus Christ, the one who comes as a child of David, a child of deception, and yet who comes to wash and to cleanse all of his own who would humble themselves before him. There are many other names we could talk about in this list. We're just going to look at the last couple from verse 16. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Joseph and Mary. I said this is part of the Christmas story. When we think of Joseph and Mary, we think of Jesus as a child of blessing. He is the fulfillment of promise. He's the one who's the redeemer. He's the one who comes for a fallen mankind and who comes to give blessing. Blessing 
particularly in the midst of trial and difficulty. Mary and Joseph, a young couple, engaged, and now she is found to be pregnant. This is not a time of joy for a young couple. It would take an angel to come and to to speak to Mary and to Joseph to explain that in this time of trial for them, God was working his purposes out to be a blessing to his people. The angel comes to Mary and and speaks to her, and and she responds by, by singing a song of praise. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. They will call me blessed, blessed by God because of what he has done. Mary's humble submission to God's perfect plan becomes the path of blessing, not only for her, but for all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. God continues to call for humble submission, willing obedience, not a refusal to hear his call, not a refusal to hear his word as it comes to us, but humbling ourselves before that word, submitting to that that word of God, even if it causes difficulty, even if it causes trial, even if it causes hardship. For we know that God is at work, and when he calls us, we are called to obey, to submit ourselves unto him. For this will be the path of blessing. I'm sure Mary and Joseph could not have imagined before the angel came and spoke to them the blessing that their son, their child would be for all of God's chosen people. For them it was a time of trial. But through that trial, God brought blessing. Jesus is the son of Mary and Joseph, a child of blessing, eternal blessing. A blessing for us even today. We who are now reconciled to God, we who have peace with God, we who are brought in to Jesus' family tree, not as ancestors, but as descendants, the descendants of Christ by faith. We who who not only know the promise of Jesus Christ, but the reality of Christ. We, We have seen in God's holy word how he fulfilled his promise perfectly in the fullness of time to send his son for the sake of his people. He who would come and be the the deliverer, not simply a, a, a temporal deliverance, but an eternal deliverance. Our eternal life is secure in Jesus Christ. A security of knowing we will spend eternity with our God and our Lord. A child of deliverance. A child who comes to us in spite of our sin, in spite of our fallenness, our lying, our deception, our wickedness, and who comes and and makes us his own, brings us into the family, that we might experience the blessing through humble submission to our Lord and our Savior. 
Oh, I know a, a, a text like this is easy to skip. It's easy to read over. But there are so many beautiful truths in, in this genealogy, this, this picture of Jesus' family tree and how we thank him. That the generations did not end with the coming of Christ, but they continue even today. We have been brought in. We are his descendants. And he continues to call for all who would embrace him by faith. Know Jesus Christ. Know him as that child promised by God, the deliverer, the child of deception, the child of blessing, and be brought in and yourself become a child of God as well. What a blessing to know. We belong to Jesus' family tree. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you for your holy word. We thank you for all of your word. We thank you for the stories that we enjoy to read. We thank you for the genealogies, perhaps more difficult to read. But all of it, all of it is given to us by you to teach us and to point us to your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord God, for bringing us into that family, your family, through your Holy Son. May we leave here rejoicing, knowing that we belong, and that you would give us a greater sense of devotion, a greater sense of submission to you, and a greater desire for obedience as your children, as part of your family. Hear our prayer, O God, for Jesus' sake. Amen.